Thank you for this day. We thank you for everything that you've given us and that you've provided for us, Lord. We do lift up all those that are in need and, and that you will help them to see that you're in the middle of all this and come to you. Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we study your word. Open our hearts to what you would have us see in your son's name. Amen. Joshua chapter 4 and verse 1. And we started out with them crossing the Jordan River and it said that the water when the priest's feet touched the Jordan, the flood waters receded and built up and great big wall down, downstream. And so we're continuing this story from a slightly different perspective now in, in ver chapter 4. And it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over Jordan that the Lord spoke unto Joshua saying, Take you twelve men out of the, tri of the people, out of, every each, out of every tribe a man, and command them saying, Take you hence out of the midst of the Jordan, out of the place where the priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones, and you shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you shall lodge this night. And Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe of man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take you up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in the time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan and the waters of the Jordan were cut off and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded them and took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan as the Lord spoke unto Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel and carried them over to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. All right, we're going to stop there and look at this. We had the children of Israel, remember, they're crossing from the east side of the Jordan into the west of the Jordan, into the promised land. And God does a miracle for them, just like he did at the Red Sea. He splits the water. And remember, there, this, the priests step into the water, and the water's at flood stage. And as soon as their feet touch the water, the rest of the... The water stops running, and they and the and the riverbed is dry. And I, we brought a big point out of this: it's dry. That's not what you would find at the bottom of a river that's been diverted. And the people of Israel were to stay a thousand yards away from the Ark of the Covenant, so they're way downstream from where the people are, where the priests are, crossing over the Jordan, and. It says the people, when the people completely got over. Now, I don't know how long it took to get the three and a half million people across the Jordan. Uh, they're a thousand feet, a thousand yards down from the, from the uh, Ark of the Covenant and the water stopped above them. So basically it's a straight shot across. But still, you got to think, how long would it take to move three and a half million people? Oh, it's much smaller. As far as miracles goes, it's a smaller miracle, but it's still a miracle. Now, it would, no, the Red Sea is huge, yes. It, it, the Red Sea takes huge ships. The Jordan is just a river. It would, I don't even believe that it's as big as the Mississippi at its, at its wide spot. So, I mean, it's, but it would be the same type of thing. All of a sudden, the Mississippi starts flowing for, for a period of time, long enough for three and a half million people to cross over. 
or the Colorado River, even if it was the Colorado River, that would be a pretty big deal to stop the water and let people walk straight across. Now, technically, we could do it. We could stop the water flowing through the, through the series of dams and, and create it, but that's the type of miracle we're looking at. And so they all cross, and then Joshua says, I've picked one man from every tribe. You guys go out into the riverbed and get a stone. Now, I want you to note on this, because I never even noticed this myself. In verse 5, Joshua said, go before the Lord and take you up, every man, a stone upon his shoulder. Okay, the stones they were picking up weren't little three or four pound stones. These were, it, I would say he picked some really strong guys and he said, I want it up on your shoulder, which means it's, pretty, it's a significant stone. This is not just a you know, 10, 20 pound stone. He's telling them, go pick out, go pick out a rock. You, know, you go get yourselves a rock. I want to see you carry in something substantial out of this, out of here. And uh, so he's, you know, and he'd already had these picked, and we looked at last, last uh, chapter how he'd pick some people out and then said, you're 12 of you or one from each tribe are going to go do this. But I just look at this and say, you know, and they're going to carry and lead them where they're camped that first night. And they're going to just barely cross the River Jordan, however far they have to go in to be able to camp three and a half million people away from the flood. Okay, remember, the River Jordan is at flood stage, overflowing its banks, as we're going to see later in, later in this chapter. Uh, we talked last, last week about how the people there in Jericho, they're not too worried about the children of Israel. The river's at flood stage. Nobody crosses a river when it's at flood stage. You, you, they're stuck there for a month or two until the river at least goes down to normal. They've, done, they've not seen any boats. They've not seen any signs of a pontoon bridge or a bridge being built. And, you know, so they're thinking they're pretty safe. They're going to wake up the next, they get out, you know, they're going to be looking over the wall and all of a sudden they're going to see dry land and the people of Israel crossing over. And two, two chapters ago, remember we talked about Rahab saying, we know what your God did to Israel, how he, how he destroyed Israel and how he split the Red Sea for you. And now they're seeing the same, basically, as far as they're concerned, the same type of miracle. God has split the Jordan for them to cross over. Big deal. Because now the people are really remembering the Red Sea. If they, if they thought it was a joke or a, or a fable before, now it's like, uh, okay, they've got a God that's just split the Jordan. Maybe he did split that Red Sea. Maybe everything we've heard about is, Egypt is true. And remember, e is, Egypt was 80 years before this event all right so this is a pretty big deal you know they would have considered you know that or 40 years before that excuse me and they would have considered this you know long enough maybe for fables to kind of and stories to give up now they're seeing the the Jordan separated and not having them walk across in muddy muddy banks as you would have expect but walking across dry land this is a huge deal to them and it's what they're going to see verse 6 says and that that this may be a sign among you and when your children ask the fathers in time to come saying what mean you by these stones he says these stones we're going to get these stones and they're going to be a sign an ensign a memorial a standard and you know i love this it says when your children ask 
Everything about what they were to do was to be a symbol so that when their children said, why are we doing this? When they set up the Passover and they said it's going to be something you do for the rest of your lives, and when your children ask what it's about, they were to tell them all about the firstborns being killed and the, and the leaving of Egypt. You know, do we do things in our lives that draw our children and our family to say, why do we do this? And it's kind of funny because you know, every, every time around Christmas time, people will ask, well, why do we do these things? The sad thing is most of what we do at Christmas time has nothing to do with the birth of Christ. It all has to do with the pagan worship that it's centered, that the, the day is celebrated around. The, the Christmas tree, you know, people will go, well, that's supposed to represent the cross. No, it represents the, the, the worship of the trees that they did and they decorated. And, you know, uh, the Yule log burning was the, the, the whole symbol of, you know, and they've tried to twist and put Christ, Christian meanings behind all this stuff, but it has nothing to do with Christianity. And Jesus gets lost in most Christian celebrations unless we really purpose to put him in it. Uh, Easter is another celebration that Jesus gets lost. You know, I keep getting asked every, every year around that time, well, what do, what do Easter bunnies and decorated eggs have to do with the resurrection of Jesus? Absolutely nothing. It has everything to do with the worship of Estar. Okay? Uh, and they go, oh, okay. You know, it is so interesting. The, the things we do as Christians aren't designed to draw our children to Christ. And yet, the Jews were, every celebration had a picture of, of God in it. Uh, the Passover was all about being delivered from Egypt. They were going to go here, and they were going to go, a pile of stones here saying, okay, when we go anywhere near the Jordan, they're going to see this great big pile of stones. Remember, we said these stones, 12 stones that were significant stones. These aren't just a, the little rock piles we see around here where somebody takes uh, little six, six, you know, six ounce or a pound stones and stacks them on top of each other. These are 12 huge stones that they've made a memorial out of. All right? It's kind of like if you go to, I think of Washington, D.C. because it's one of the greatest places in America for, for memorials. If you've not been there, you've seen the pictures of them in there, but they're impressive to see. The Jefferson Memorial, the the Lincoln Memorial, the Washington Monument, they're huge and they're, they're impressive. And why are they there? To remind us what everything cost for our country. And when you go there, you'll hear children. It's kind of funny because you'll hear the children doing just what they said here. Dad, Mom, why, why is this here? And you get a chance to be told the history. Well, if they know the history. <laughs> But the whole idea of these memorials is we set something up that our children say, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? Which means we have to live out our Christianity in front of them. Otherwise, they have nothing to ask us. If we're living like the rest of the world, they're not going to ask. That's what they see all the time. You know, why are we reading the Bible? Why do we pray? Why do we do this? Why do we go to church? You know, those are the kind of questions we want them asking so that we can build up God in their life. And they were told, get these stones out and make a memorial, something that was going to be seen. And, and it says that they will answer that when the waters of the Jordan were cut off from the, before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, when it passed over Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for memorial unto the children of Israel forever. And 
I don't know if they're still there. I'm sure they are. It seems like it's supposed to be forever. There's probably a pile of rocks somewhere near the Jordan. Uh, there's a pile of rocks where they believe that the, where Solomon believed that the children crossed the Red Sea. There's stones on both sides, and they're the, pil the pillars of uh, Moses, is, I think is what they're called. Uh, and Solomon set them up to celebrate. That's where they crossed. But we see, do we do things that generate these type of questions from our, especially our family and our young kids? Why do you do this? Why do you believe this? Why do you believe that? Now, oftentimes when our kids are young, the whys, we get tired of the whys, especially when they're about two and three years old when it's why everything. <laughs> you know, why is the sky blue? Why is the grass green? Uh, you know, why is the car run? You know, they've got 101 million <laughs> why questions. But you know, we should be living in a way that draws the why. Why God? Why the Bible? Why do we do the things that we are doing? Why are we living different from my friends? I go to my friend's house. They don't pray before dinner. Why do we pray? You know, they're not, they don't read their Bible. Why do we read our Bible? Why do you read your Bible? Why do we go to church? They don't go to church. But there needs to be the lifestyle behind this whole thing to draw the why. The Jews have been phenomenal. They've kept the idea of the Passover and the Exodus, of, Exodus alive for generations. You know, granted, it's something they automatically do. They set it up. They, they practice this event every every year and the kids will go on well gee you know it almost gets to be almost like christmas in one sense but there's a story about passover and there's nothing else held at passover which is really a very valuable thing um, the christian church mixed too many different events together and kind of ruined the why picture all right in verse 8 and the children of israel did so as moses as joshua commanded and took 12 stones from the midst of the jordan as the lord had spoken to joshua according to the number of the tribe tribes of the children of israel and carried them over to them to the place where they lodged and laid them down and joshua set up the 12 stones in the midst of the in the midst of the jordan in the place where the feet of the priest that, which bear the ark of the covenant stood and there they are to this day so they brought the stones out. They took them up on the, on the beach where they were, were camped out. And it says that Joshua set up. He erected. Now what he erected, I would love to see what he erected. I don't know if he just erected a pillar or what he did, but he, he stacked them up in such a way that they stood this test of time. And it kind of makes it sound like he put brick and mortar on them. He made sure it was something that was going to stand. Uh, because if you think of it, it was just a pile of stones and somebody wanted to get rid of it, they'd just push it over. But if he cemented it, it would stay up. And it literally means he erected. He put something up. Not just a, here's a pile of stones. <laughs> now, this pile of stones could have been just here by an earthquake or anything. No, he, put, he did something that was going to stand out and say, this is special. This is not... It, no, it's saying that they took the rocks from the midst of the river. <laughs> Because you got to see that they put it down at where the place where they lodged, <laughs> and they're not lodging in the middle of the river. So, and it says that Joshua set them up, and it says that it's still there to the day. And this is however long it was when this was written. And I don't know. I, I I tried to do some research to see if this pillar is still there, and I couldn't find anything. Not that I had a lot of time to do it, but I'm gonna have to look and see if this st stack of uh, rocks are still there. Because there's many places where they were told in the Old Testament do this set this up as a memorial remember this remember this remember this and a lot of times it was something just like this they set up the memorial stones and stuff and said this is for a memory and especially especially on the east coast you've got all kinds of memorials to different things going on 
here in the West Coast, we have our little highway markers, you know, historical history markers. But out on the East Coast, you've got all kinds of monuments that our early founding fathers built to help remember things. For the priests which bear the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to speak unto the children according to all that Moses commanded. And, and Joshua and the people hastened to pass over. And it came to pass when all the people were clean passed over that the ark of the Lord passed over and the priest in the presence of the people and the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses spoke to them. About 40,000 prepared for war passed over before the, the Lord unto battle into the plains of Jericho. All right, so the priests are standing in the middle of what was supposed to be the river and it says the people hastened or quickly crossed over. Again, we're talking about three and a, somewhere around three and a half million people. And we've gone over how we've come up with that number. They were counted, and there's about 660,000 men of, of war age. And you figure most of the men of war age are probably going to be married, at least the large percentage of them, and they're going to have a few kids. You know, so you're at a million and a half just if you marry off <laughs> everybody of war age and give them another couple kids, and you're sitting there couple couple million real quick so we had a large group crossing over the the Jordan and it says and as soon as everybody passed over the priest stepped out now again I don't know how long it took to move three and a half million people it's a pretty amazing number to me if you know th figure if you wanted to try to clear out a city of three and a half million people how difficult would that be and uh, we saw that during some of these Houston and, and Florida, you know, the streets packed, highways packed, closing down highways and running both of them in the same direction, trying to get people out of town. And we figure that's uh, quite, a move, quite a move, and here they're moving three and a half million people on foot for the most part, and all their cattle and their sheep. You know, this is not just a small group of organized people. This is everybody's family and all their possessions being moved across the Jordan River. Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, why did they, who remembers why they listed these two and a half tribes? Does anybody remember why they're listed? Because they're getting in their territory on the west side, uh, the east side of the Jordan. And Moses said, okay, I'll let you Keep your wives and your kids and your flocks here. This is your land. But you, all the men of battle age, have to go in with your brothers. You cannot, you cannot just rest on your laurels while they fight. And there's a very interesting statement here on, in, chapter, in verse 13. It says, about 40,000 prepared for war before the Lord unto battle came into the plains of Jericho. Now, this is a very strange number. It literally reads that 40,000 were ready for battle, all right, uh, out of the 660,000 men that are of, of battle age, only 40,000 of them are dressed and ready for a war. And you kind of think about this, it makes a lot of sense. They're very close to Jericho. Jericho has been watching them. And it's quite likely while you're in the confusion of crossing over and, and you've got all your little ones and your animals and everything, and there's total disconfusion, 
it is the time that an enemy would be most likely to attack. Okay, right out on them when their armies are kind of in chaos. But it says 40,000 men were ready to fight. They probably went over first and made a, some kind of picket line to prevent any attack. But Ready for war, prepared for war. Yeah. Dressed for war, ready for war, armed, ready to go. And the you know, first time I read that, I'm going, well, why is there only 40,000? I know there's 660,000 of them according to Numbers and Judges, uh, uh, Exodus. And there's 130,000 just in the two and a half tribes that are coming over according to Numbers. So you read 40,000, and I think literally it's, okay, well, Many of the men were helping family and, and friends and everybody cross, but 40,000 of you are going to go ready in case they attack. And then we can get the rest of the army up and going if, if they attack. So it's just an interesting, interesting thing to point, point out as you, as you read through this, especially when you think about this, because I, when I was look, trying to do some research on it, everybody's going, well, see, here's a contradiction in the Bible that says there's 660,000 men of war, and here, here Joshua only has 40,000. No, I think there's only 40,000 forming a picket line that were ready for battle right then. He says, okay, you 40,000 out of the 660,000 men ready for battle, we're going to take 40,000 of you. you. You're not going to help your families move. You're going to go defend in case these guys decide to attack us while we're in the chaos of moving across the Jordan. Could be. Or the most skilled or... Random. Who knows? Who knows how they were chosen? It doesn't tell us how they were chosen. It just says, uh, it just tells us that 40,000 of them were de dressed out for war. They weren't. They weren't helping move. And most likely, because it refers to Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, the 40,000 probably came a, th a third of their people, because they're the ones that aren't moving a bunch of people in flocks and possessions. Their their flocks and possessions are back home. So it would be most likely to be a third of their men dressed for war while the other two-thirds are helping people make, the, make this move. The reason I say I believe that it's the two, from, the, from the two and a half tribes is simply because their wives, children, and, and cattle are not crossing uh, over the Jordan. Their entire army is coming with them, which numbers much more than 40,000, and I believe the other 80,000, know, 80, 85,000 were helping people move. Well, 40,000 would be enough to stop an initial attack, would be enough to stop an initial attack. Because if you took all the men of war to make the picket line, then you would have nobody moving the stuff. Just a, a little question. How far from the Jordan was Jericho? Miles? I think it was only 15, 15 20 miles. It's right on. It's right on. But it's kind, of, it's kind of north of where they crossed, so it's... There's enough room for them to put their people, obviously, but Jericho is close enough that they could have did a sortie out and attacked them while they were in chaos. And that would have been the time to attack them, which is why, they, which is why I think they armed 40,000 men. Oh, sure. Or at least watching. Yeah. Well, the river stopped running. What's going on? They're probably in terror. Nobody might have left that city at all because they remembered what God did in Egypt. So there's a lot of terror going on with them, too. Here's, an, here's a miracle redone 40 years later. And the people are looking at it and saying, 
This uh, sounds uh, sounds a uh, you know reminiscent of what happened already, and they they probably weren't going to move out against him. But Joshua, being a good leader, is saying, "I'm going to have forty thousand men ready to fight just in case, and if they attack, then we'll have the rest of the army there quickly to back them up quickly." Oh yeah, they were terrified. They were terrified. You guys destroyed Egypt. We're really we're terrified, and most of the most of the promised lands nations were terrified. You know, Egypt, and again, we've got to understand what this was like. Egypt was the empire when e when Israel was taken out. They it would be like in our day, even though we are failing, we're still the number one power in the world. It would be like overnight we stopped being a power because some god destroyed us. Everybody would be terrified of that god going, uh, you know, what happened? And this is what's going on. Egypt is down. The greatest empire up till that point in time that ruled that entire area ceased to exist. And their control of all the outlying land too. Would have ceased to exist. Everything, everything, everything of Egypt collapsed. Okay, there's a power vacuum. Nobody knows who's in charge. The, the leaders aren't in charge. There's, their power is gone. They don't have a standing army because they drowned in the Red Sea. And there's chaos. Anytime you have power cease to exist, there's chaos. Whether it's a nation that ceased to exist or even in a town, if they take out a drug kingpin or something or a gang kingpin, that's the most dangerous time in that town as every group is battling to determine who is now going to be in charge of all the crime. You know, so police oftentimes don't take out a kingpin because it's, it's so chaotic when they do that it's not worth it. They just try to control what's going on. And every once in a while they'll take out a kingpin and the city will explode in violence. There's a lot of territory in that situation. Yes. You've got all of Northern Africa, you've got all the Middle East, all the way up to right on the edge of Turkey was controlled by Egypt. Egypt is no longer in control. All these little kings are like, okay, which one of us is the strongest? Who's going to rule? What's going to happen? Meanwhile, in Egypt, you've got the Hissok Rebellion going on and they've got a dynasty change in Egypt. And that went pretty quick. They reestablished pretty quick, but it was never as strong as it was before. So we have a power vacuum going in and the people are being reminded, they're seeing the Jordan stop flowing. Uh, man, we heard stories of the Red Sea. We didn't think it was true, you know, but if their God really was that strong, here he is stopping the Jordan at flood stage. You know, try to put yourself in this picture. You're, you're, you're sitting there in Jericho and all of a sudden your river that's just a, just a short distance away is not running. It was at flood stage. It was overrunning its banks. It's flooding, it's flooding the fields like it's supposed to do at this time of year. And all of a sudden, it stops running. And your hated enemy is crossing a dry river. The, river. the enemy that you're terrified of because they've just destroyed six king, uh, five kings on the other side of the Jordan. Well, they didn't need him, but it was a protection. So here we are, you're looking at this, you're seeing all of this, and all of a sudden you're going, look at what's going on. We're having a repeat of Egypt. 
hide behind the wall of Jericho, right? Yeah, they, I don't believe that. Yeah, I don't believe anybody was willing to attack, but Joshua is being sure that he's protecting his people. Jericho people were hiding behind the wall, right? Most likely. It doesn't say what they were doing, but most likely. Verse 14. On that day, the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. This is a very interesting, just a quick statement it drops in. They fear Joshua. And it says that they feared Moses. Now, it's kind of interesting when you think about all the things they said and did to Moses, how many times they wanted to stone him, how many times they came to attack him, yeah, the fear didn't seem to be all that strong sometimes. But it says that they were, they were afraid of him. Why were they afraid of him? Well, for Moses' case, they'd seen the ten plagues. They'd seen the killing of the firstborn. They'd seen the, the river, the, the, the Red Sea parted. They'd seen manna being, feeding them for 40 years. They'd seen the water coming out of the rock. They'd seen the very the power of God. They'd seen Moses come off the mountain. Well, most of these guys didn't. They'd seen Moses come off the mountain having talked with God and glowing for, with the radiance of God. And no, no enemy could stand up against them when Moses was in charge. And now God is saying, I'm just as much on Joshua's side as I was on Moses. Yeah, this is literally fear. Hebrew is literally fear. They, they, there was a reverence for him, but there is fear. Because think about this. Korah rebelled against Moses. What happened to the Korah? The ground split and swallowed them. Okay. Uh, the next day, the people go, Moses, you did that. I don't know how they thought Moses split the ground and swallowed uh, Korah and all of Korah. And then God judged them again and killed another 17,000 of them for that attack. Miriam goes out and says, you know, Moses, you think too highly of yourself. We're all prophets. And she gets stuck with, struck with leprosy. You know, people are looking at this, and every time Moses is challenged, something happens to the people. Moses says, we're going to do something, and they're successful. They, he goes, you can't do what you're doing, and they, get, they suffer the punishment when they disobey him. And Moses, his protege Joshua, is being lifted up to that same place. Basically, he's being lifted up saying, don't challenge him. You know, you challenged Moses and look what happened. Don't challenge him. I'm doing the same things for him. And we see this whole process going on. Yes, there's a reverence to it, but also there's a fear. God is saying, I'm behind him. When I tell him to do something, you can expect it, even if it sounds crazy. And I think they're preparing them for the crazy battle plan to conquer Jericho. Okay. Because you've got to think, what a battle plan. We haven't got there yet, but what a battle plan. We're going to go march around the city. You know, for six days, we're going to march one time around the city. And then on the, on the seventh day, we're really going to do it. We're going to go seven times around the city. <laughs> think about this. If you were the army of Israel, okay, Joshua, uh, we don't understand this plan. We understand camping around the city, making sure no goods are coming in and out of it. You know, starving to death, you know, shooting some flaming arrows into the city, you know, making some catapults and throwing rocks inside the city, uh, cutting them off from their water. But this plan's a little nuts. You know, and a lot of times God's plans seem a little nuts when you think about them. Uh, Gideon, you know, gather up the people. Gideon, your, your 30,000 are just too many people against the, the 130,000 we're going to go against. Cut them down. Uh, you got 10,000, still too many, Gideon. 300, just right. 
uh, Samson, we're going to use you to go kill lots of, lots of Philistines. Uh, all the different things we see in the scriptures, how God does miraculous things to deliver his people. Things that would make no sense whatsoever. Hezekiah's day, we're going to go battle this 100,000 enemies. Uh, priest, you're going to carry God's t the, the ark first and, and singers from the temple, you're going to follow them. Then we'll put the army. <laughs> you know, how would you like to have been the priest carrying the ark of the covenant? You know, you're walking into an army of hundreds of thousands. You get to the top of the hill and the God says stop and they just sing songs and the people die. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. God's plans. And so Joshua is being lifted up in, in the eyes of the people. Okay, we knew Moses was pretty powerful, but uh, hey, this uh, Joshua guy, uh, you know, we always knew he was a great general, but, general, general, but uh, look what God's doing. He's stopping the Red Sea. He's doing all kinds of things for us. And lifting him up. Do what he says. Verse 15, And the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priests that bear the ark of the testimony that they come up out of the river, out of the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come up out of the river, out of the Jordan. And it came to pass, when the priests that bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord were come up out of the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests were lifted up unto dry land, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and flowed over all his banks as they did before. So this is that statement where we know that they were at flood stage and they were over the banks and this is normal in the older days before we started building dams and everything to stop floods the waters would overflow the banks flood the fields give them nice rich nutrient dirt and and make the ground very fertile and then the water would flow off they would plant their crops in really wonderful ground nowadays we stop the floods and then we wonder why our fields don't produce the way they used to now we have to put artificial chemicals into the grounds to give them their fertilization that used to be a natural result of the spring floods. God melted the ice in the mountains, gave the rain in the spring, the, the, the waters all overflowed, and you had wonderful, rich soil to, build in, uh, to plant in. And it says, you know, when their feet came out of the Jordan, back onto the land, God released the water. And remember, we talked about how upstream the water had been stopped. Now, I don't know if God just totally stopped the water from running, or it says it heaped up. So how large did this wall of water get before, you know, during the time it took the people to cross the River Jordan? And I, mean, I think it got high enough that they were looking up the river saying, okay, there's the ark, and whoa, look at that wall of water down there. Well, we don't know what's holding that thing back, but we're going to get over that river. We're going to get over this uh, quickly because we don't want to be caught in the middle if that water starts flowing. And, you know, I don't know if you've seen the pictures of something where a dam is broken and the walls of water that come run, running down the valleys and destroy everything in their way. This is pretty much what God's going to do. He's just going to release that water and it's going to come rushing back down. And you've got to think, maybe the water's pulled up pretty close to Jericho as it... <laughs> came rushing down over the banks and toward Jericho. And they're looking like, okay, now we're going to be flooded out. You know, for, first the river is stopped, and now we're going to be flooded. And I'm only speculating on that, but I can picture that happening as, it, as the waters are, are running and, the, and they're released. But it says that it flowed over the banks. It went back to its flood stage. Verse 19, And the people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, 
and encamped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan did Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he said unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask of your fathers in the time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then you shall tell, let your students, st students, children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you were passed over, as the Lord God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us, until we were gone over. And all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you might fear the Lord your God forever. Now, I don't know if this date stands out to you at all in verse 19. And the people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. Does anybody know what this means? All right. Well, their first, their first month is actually March and April. Passover. The tenth day is when you chose the lamb for Passover. It also tells us that it's been exactly, exactly 40 years since the first Passover celebration started. So they're actually four days before Passover at this point. God likes 40, yes. Uh, so, but I just want to point this out to you. This date, when a, when a Hebrew reads this date, a Jewish person reads this date, they're going, oh, this is the preparation day for the lamb. This is the day they picked the lamb for Passover. And when they picked the lamb for Passover, I'm not sure, do any of you know how this was worked in the biblical times of, for Passover? On the 10th day, they went out to the flocks and they picked their lamb that they were going to use for Passover. That lamb was then brought into their house and treated as a pet and examined and, and looked over by the family. Basically, the kids get to fall in love with the lamb that's going to be dinner in four days. Okay. Um, looking for the blemishes, making sure. This is also the reason that I believe Jesus ministered for four years. He was the Passover lamb, and I believe he ministered for four years being examined by the people for his un no blemishes. Most people will say Jesus ministered for three, maybe three and a half years. I believe it was four because he is the Passover lamb. So they take the lamb, they bring it into the house and examine it. And then four days later, they kill the Passover lamb at the t temple. The blood is shed. They put the, you know, they, in, in their day, they symbolically put the blood on the doorpost. And in the actual Passover, they put the blood on the, doorpost and the, and the lentil in the base and they stayed in and they had their dinner and the dinner has all kinds of sim symbology of Jesus the lamb was not to have a broken bone just as no bone in Jesus's body was broken uh, all of it was to be consumed and if it wasn't consumed it was to be burnt because nothing was to be left over at the end just as Jesus was completely consumed on the cross for us and buried lots of lots of symbology in it and so it's been 40 years to the day, well, 40 years minus four, <laughs> uh, to the day when they leave Egypt. They didn't have houses. They were living in tents, right? Well, they were during the wanderings. During the wandering, wandering. yeah. So they didn't have the doorpost. That was uh, the you, symbol. The you symbol that you had your tent, tent post, but yeah. They, they also haven't, you're going to find out later, they haven't been practicing the, the Passover. Yeah, they, they had the doorpost. 
they haven't been practicing Passover for 40 years. They have not circumcised for 40 years, we're going to see in the next chapter. Uh, a lot of things they didn't do that they were supposed to do. And it's kind of amazing when you think that Moses was the leader during all that time and he was not practicing the very things he told them that they needed to practice. Yeah, the seven feasts were not being practiced. The, the circumcision was not being practiced. Uh, it's kind of an interesting thought process. But I just wanted to point out to you this, this whole thing of uh, the day they crossed is very similar to the Passover. Forty years earlier, they had left Egypt. Well, after four days, and they sacrificed the lamb. So, but they're getting into the promised land during the time of Passover. And what does the promised land represent is victorious living for God's people. All right? So they're coming into the promised land right at the same time that the, that the Passover lamb is supposed to die. Jesus is later on, you know, about th- uh, 2,000 years later, going to die in the same, same general area, a little, little further inland. But it's all these pictures of Jesus in this whole process. They've crossed into victorious living, and it's just the right time for the sacrifice to be made. Very powerful. And how God said, I'm going to do this at just the right time. They cross over to the south of Jericho, and far enough that Jericho is not feeling too threatened just by them. Well, they're being threatened, but not threatened enough to send out an army to try to get them at that time. So they're probably, you know, 15, 20, 25, 30 miles down south of Jericho, far enough, because you've got to think in, in their day, 15, 20 miles was a pretty significant distance. Uh, and I think about that all the time when I make my trips, you know, both to my job at the prison and out here, you know, 60 mile round trip. Uh, I have a newspaper from 1907 and it said the pastor went of this of, in, here in Chloride, went to pick up his wife, he'd be gone for two weeks. Okay, he went to Kingman to pick up his wife. You know, you look at the train schedule, it took four or, five, four or five hours to get from Kingman to Chloride by train. Okay, now granted, it went through Mineral Springs and, and all a bunch of these other places as it got here, but it still took a long, I mean, we don't even think twice, you know, some of the people living here or you out there in White Hills, you know, don't think twice about running all the way to Kingman and coming back home and maybe even doing it again if you forgot something, you know. Uh, we don't even think twice about it, and yet, not even too long ago, it was a full day's adventure. You know, even with a horse, you didn't, you didn't ride, your, even though a horse could have made it in one day, you weren't going to ride your horse so hard that you forced it to get to Kingman in one day. It would have been a two-day trip to get to Kingman from here by horse. This is why we talk, you know, we say they're only 15, 20 miles away, but that's a long way you know, to walk your army to make an attack. And so, so we look at this, and, and he says, and they said, again, he reiterates that we're setting up this memorial. Why? Again, so that when your children ask about it, when your children, as you come down this road down here and your children see this stack of, stack of blocks, and they ask, what does that mean? You know, I think the biggest thing for us is we need to make sure we're living a life that people say, why? Why are you doing what you're doing? What, what is the reason for it? 
Why do you believe in the Bible? Why do you believe in, in creationism and not evolution? Why do you believe that there's a God? You know, are we living a lifestyle that makes people wonder why we're oddballs and different? Because <laughs> we really are, especially in this day and age. If you are really following God, we are different. And people should notice that we're different. We're not doing the same things they're doing. We, we spend time in God's word. We, we spend time saying God created this world. We spend time believing in Jesus Christ as, as the one and only God, the one and only way to God. We spend time realizing that he died for our sins and, and rose again. When we celebrate Christmas, when we celebrate uh, the Resurrection Sunday, it should be celebrated in such a way that people go, you're not just celebrating a day, you're celebrating something. You know, to me, Resurrection Sunday is one of the greatest holidays that we have. And I like the term Resurrection Sunday more than Easter because Easter is the worship and celebration of Estar, the, the fertility goddess. And I don't use the word Easter if I can help it because it is not what I celebrate. I'm celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, not some goddess that needs to be, be worshipped. And I know, and when, even when I say that, I know that most people celebrating Easter are not worshiping the goddess, but that's really what everything about the holiday, the way it's practiced, is about. It changes our picture and brings us back to what is the day supposed to be about. And it should still be tied to Passover because it is, it is supposed to be the first Sunday after Passover that Jesus rose as the first fruit offering of, the, of that uh, feast. He rose, he was crucified on Passover, he was in the grave during uh, unleavened, Feast of Unleavened Bread, and he was resurrected on the Feast of the First Fruits. And the church was born on, on the Feast of Pentecost. The four, the four Jewish feasts of the spring all had a part in Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and the, and the start of the church. So, and it's why a lot of people believe that the fall festivals will be all time marks for the rapture of the church, the second coming, and the millennial kingdom because of the matching up for the spring and then the, then the fall. Yom Kippur, tabernacles, and uh, trumpets are the three feasts yet unfulfilled. He says, The Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan from before you until you were passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea. So he's doing the same thing that the, all the people in the Promised Land are going to be doing. We heard about the Red Sea. We weren't quite sure that we could believe it because that was just too big a, too big a deal. But now we know. He just stopped the flood stage river and let his people cross there. And it's always tied back to the Red Sea. Okay, here's the big miracle. Here's my reminder of what I can do for you. And uh, so we see this as is, this is going, and then it ends this chapter with, that all the people of the earth might know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you might fear the Lord your God forever. Now this is the thing. Everything God was doing was to try to get people to remember him in perpetuity. And yet, they kept forgetting him. All through the 40 years of wandering, the children of Israel keep forgetting what God has done for them. You know, we want to go back to Egypt, Moses. You, you brought us out here. In your own strength, you brought us through the river. You destroyed Egypt. In your own strength, all by your little lonesome self. And we want to go back to Egypt because we're hungry. We're thirsty. You know, I don't know why you brought us out here. You know, we, God and you brought us out here because there weren't enough graves in Egypt. So you brought us out here so we'd die in the, in the wilderness. 
and they deal with the 40 years they did, yeah. But we see this over and over, and the thing about this is we do the same thing to God so often. We so quickly forget what he does in our life. God blesses us. We're really excited about the blessing, and then a week later we don't even remember that he's blessed us. And if it was a really big blessing, we might, we might go a month. Forget that God has done anything for us. You know, we think about, just think about your salvation. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, probably, hopefully, a very big event in your life. You, you're filled with joy, the lightness of having your sins removed from you. How long did that joy and that peace last before you're kind of, well, God, uh, it was really wonderful, but what, what's next? What, what's the next thing that you're going to do for us? Too often we have this, what have you done for me lately mentality with God. God, uh, it's, been, it's been four days since you've done anything for me. It's been six months since you've done anything for me, God. Uh, when are you going to do something again? You know, and part of that is driven by when we read the word of God and we look and say, God, you did this, 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 this. And we look at people, you know, we read it and it, it looks like, you know, we look at Abraham's life in the, in the ten chapters that he's talked about. And it looks like something's happening in Abraham's life all the time. But if you really look carefully, he's 90, he's 95, he's 100. He's 120. There were long periods in his life where nothing seemed to happen. You read the book of Acts. Okay, Acts is 24 chapters, I think it is, and it's like bang, 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 all these events. But then if you read Paul's letters, he goes, and I spent three years with you, and it's only one chapter in Acts. And he's moved to the next town. And he says, I spent three years with you, which means that there wasn't daily excitement going on in his ministry, it was much like our life. Something happens, long periods of just nothing, just following God, and then something big happens, long periods of something not, you know, nothing spectacular going on, and then something happens. The Bible is exactly like our lives if we keep the time markers in, 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 in plan. Let's go ahead and close in prayer, and then I'll answer any questions. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have. Lord, help us to live in a way that lifts you up and, and has people ask us why. Why do we follow you? Why do we trust you? Help us to have the opportunity to share with others around us about you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.